a stuck boat and port congestion make for stormy ocean shipping. How do you develop greener last mile logistics? And as the economy continues its COVID recovery, will we find enough truck drivers to handle post-pandemic demand? Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories, as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the Editorial Director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Honeywell Intelligrated. From system design and simulation to integrated warehouse automation software and technologies to ASRS shuttles and robotics, Honeywell Intelligrated's end-to-end solutions address the most pressing e-commerce and labor challenges facing our industry. To learn more, visit Intelligrated.com. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham will be along to provide their insight into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, we all heard about that ship, the Ever Given, that was stuck sideways across the Suez Canal. Well, thankfully, it was refloated earlier this week and the canal is open again. But the delays caused backups to supply chains all over the world, and that's on top of all the port congestion we've already experienced. So just how bad are things out there on our oceans? To address that, here's Ben with today's guest. Ben? Thank you, Dave. Uh, yes, today we have with us on the podcast uh, Jonathan Foster. Uh, he's a principal consultant with Proxima, a supply chain consulting firm. Uh, thank you for being here with us on the line, Jonathan. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, Jonathan, I know you've been in the business a long time, over 20 years uh, of experience in the industry, and you've worked as a shipper and a broker and a carrier and and now as a consultant, so you've seen uh, lots of different sides of this. Um, And however, some of the events of the past week uh, really don't look like uh, some things that people have seen in a long time. Uh, Fortunately, uh, as David mentioned, after six days of stopping all cargo traffic through the Suez Canal, the ever given is moved and ships are finally sailing again, but when they do arrive at ports, will they be able to quickly unload and get back on schedule again? I I think it'll be the first ships. Uh, I would suspect they'll be uh, unloaded at pace. They'll work through them pretty fast. And as that backlog starts making its way in, I think you'll start seeing some slowdowns because of container you know, the time it takes to physically get containers off the port, uh, unloaded, back to the port, it'll kind of be a meter down effect. It'll take a little bit to to work through that backlog. First at pace um, and, and just a little bit of slowdown. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think we've all seen uh, some of the photographs uh, of, of a lot of the ships that are still at anchor, uh, sort of there's some pent up demand there. So uh, that they'll really be waiting in line uh, to, to get in at the port there. Even when things are slow, there'll be uh, plenty of other ones uh, right behind them. Uh, obviously, we're coming off a, a full year of pan- pandemic shutdowns, uh, so we, we've seen some congestion already. Uh, but is the pandemic uh, chaos the only cause of the shipping delays and the port congestion that we see pretty broadly? Not at all. Um, we, we called 2020, we, obviously COVID was a, a, a factor. But we call we call it the year of disruption, and because if you look at it, particularly I'll focus on the U.S., but you can take make the same analogy on a global scale. Um, in the U.S., you had wildfires, you had hurricanes, you had tornadoes, you you had all of these disruptive events beyond just the COVID um, impacts and the influx of medical essentials 
you've got metering of steamship lines, you've got chassis changes, you've got containers stuck in continents like South America and Africa. You've got all of these disruptive events and it's really hitting every mode and all of it has this correlating effect. Um, I read this morning that uh, uh, that reported that 28, the spot market was up 28% year over year. It's just, it's just one more thing that continues to, to hit, hit supply chains everywhere. Um, and and it, is, it is not going away anytime soon. Yeah, really interesting. There's some big challenges there. Um, interesting that, that containers sort of get stuck in certain uh, places along the way. Um, what, what, what are some of the reasons that they get uh, you know, tangled up in certain spots like that instead of maintaining their steady flow that, uh, that the industry is used to? Well, I think you've, you've, got a few, you've got a few factors here, is when you, when you take ships out of strings, um, you're not returning the, the pace that you can cycle those ships through you know, the strings that they go through. It's just going to take a little longer, so there's a little, bit, a little bit of delay on some of that. I think from what I've been told is there's some containers during COVID that were sent to some of the more undeveloped countries or continents and and they they with medical essential goods and, and those containers are still sitting there. I think you've seen some of the greatest losses of containers on the sea um, that we've seen in a long time. And, and I think that's what I've been told is that's a side effect of how big the ships are. And now they're getting really weighed down and, and there's, you know, rumor is there's waves on the ocean and things happen. <laughs> I just think it's this this compounding effect. And I think you've got you you can't understate the the essential non-essential component. You've got warehouse space and short supply, and you've got some businesses thriving and they're running through goods as fast as they can, and you've got others struggling. And when they're struggling, they their warehouse is typically full, so you got to find places to put stuff. Um, and then the labor to support that. You, you may be running on a, a reduced labor force, um, which means you're not turning that container. Maybe you sit on it a little longer, or, or you're not turning it as fast you know, on the unloading and, and some of that. I think all of these things are in play, and all of these things have impact. Really interesting. There's so many moving parts in that. Um, you mentioned that some businesses are striving, some of them are struggling. Um, what, what are the effects of these uh, freight delays that we're seeing? Are there certain sectors that are hurt more than others? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it, it, I think your raw materials, it depends on where your raw materials, a, a lot of people wouldn't correlate. Um, let's, let's talk about the Suez, Health, Suez Canal as an example. Um, a lot of uh, resins and a lot of raw materials that come from Europe, um, will be delayed just off of that. But if you look at, uh, I think I actually read on you guys' website that uh, the Foot Locker and some of these, the retailers are at the record lows on their inventories. And I, I think that's telling. So I think retail is obviously struggling because, uh, well, certain aspects of retail, you've got others um, that are, are thriving in, in dealing with this disruption. Um, because I think they've been adaptive and, re and reactive to what they could see coming. Um, and that's, that's not to take a shot at anybody in particular. That's to say it, it is a, a truly a disruption at a historic nature. And doing things the same way um, is not going to work. It, it, you can't just 
throw this into a box, no pun intended, and say that's just an isolated event. This is a trend, and it's a trend where the trends are changing, uh, and they're changing at pace through this whole thing. Yeah, uh, really hard to keep up with. You, you, you mentioned um, you know retailers and inventory. Um, it sounds like these trends uh, are affecting both businesses and consumers. It, it very much is. Ultimately, you know, historically, the leading indicator of an expansion or recession has been freight. And it's because before you can make something or manufacture something, you've got to move it. And so you've got to move those raw materials. You've got to get it into the manufacturing sector. Then you've got to subsequently move it to its distribution path, whether that's direct to consumer or to another manufacturer or, you know, to a, a retail distribution path. Um, and all of that is is there. But what we're seeing is disruption, at, you know, in every mode and in every area, networks, carrier networks out of balance. And that ultimately impacts everyone. It, freight is, for the most part, agnostic. It's a box. If you look at containers and, and, and dry vans, it's, you're filling a box. And so when you, everybody gets impacted, the natural competitors that somebody might face on the street, you know, like a, a Home Depot and a Lowe's compete head to head. But when you're, when you're talking about freight and you're talking about that, it's the, it's the natural competitors, it's whoever's filling those boxes. So that literally hits every supply chain and it hits in, in, cannot help not, or cannot be um, not impacting consumers. Right, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we're all going to be feeling uh, that some of the impacts of that either in shortages or, or uh, raised prices in, in the coming weeks and months. Uh, are, have you also been keeping track of any sort of possible solutions uh, to these delays and congestions uh, that will uh, help the whole system get back on track? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there are some things that can be done. I, I think you can if you can adjust your number one, your lead time, and that should have already been done at this point. Is give yourself some cushion. Um, the the trends the last ten years have been a lot of JIT, um, a lot of you know smaller shipments. I think inventory is not a bad thing. Being prepared to take on that inventory, being able to order bigger lots, bigger sizes with greater lead time. But I think there's other ways you can control your destiny. And that's, it's, it's simple things in a port environment like leasing your own chassis, something we recommend, control that piece. If you look at, and an, um, I forget which one of the ports um, off the top of my head in LA, one of them has, I think, nine different terminals. Um, I may be off a number, but as an example, I know they have multiple terminals, but you may need a chassis to go pick up a shipment off of one pier, but it may be stuck at another pier and so you, you've got to run there first, pick up, then go get your product, you know, sit in a line to get the chassis and then go get your load and come through. That's inefficiency. If you lease your own chassis and you control that, well, you can go straight in and you can take that inefficiency and, and translate that into more efficient turns. It's, it's just a small way of doing it. I think there are other, you know, opportunities is, you know, are you using, are you utilizing NORs? Um, so that steamship lines can position the capacity there. Have you have you taken inlets, you know, inlet um, intermodal ways that move it off of the ports, like like what Savannah's doing? There, you have to be creative and you have to be adaptive. And I think some companies have done this. 
uh, and, and others have kind of continued to do business as usual and business as usual is, is, is going to struggle. But I think those companies that have been innovative and have focused and built um, a lot of times freight providers get commoditized and have over the last, you know, several years in, in, in corporate views in the companies that have viewed their transloaders, their carriers, their trade networks as strategically and treating them such. I think that's also a key piece, thing, key piece of what can be done. Gotcha. Really interesting. Well, it, it sounds like for sure we'll have a whole lot to cover in, in the coming year here, but there, that there are some, there is some hope uh, to, for get, getting through this and some light at the end of the tunnel. Jonathan, I, I really appreciate your spending some time with us today on the podcast. I, I appreciate the invitation and, and I do believe there's ab absolutely hope. And I think we have a lot of skilled people working in supply chains that have already proven a tremendous amount of resilience. And again, thank you. Terrific. Uh, we, we've had Jonathan Foster here with us today. And again, he's a principal consultant uh, with uh, the supply chain consulting firm Proxima. Uh, back to you, Dave. Thank you, Ben and Jonathan. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. Victoria, you wrote this week about how micro-fulfillment can help develop a greener last mile. Can you explain more? Sure, Dave, happy to. Yeah, so when it comes to sustainability, it seems that small changes to last mile delivery can actually have a big impact. Um, and that's according to a study I came across from consulting firms Accenture and Frontier Economics. The report is called the Sustainable Last Mile, Faster, Greener, Cheaper. And it identifies some steps that retailers and delivery companies can take to reduce carbon emissions and traffic congestion within cities. So we're talking about in dense urban areas. The key finding was that uh, using micro fulfillment centers or MFCs can lower delivery vehicle related emissions between 16% and 26% by 2025. Our re as our listeners will know, um, these micro fulfillment centers are small facilities located close to customers that can kind of speed last mile delivery. And as I say, they're often located in really dense urban areas. So the researchers figured this out by developing a model for studying the impact of local fulfillment centers in three cities in particular, London, Chicago, and Sydney. Their model estimates the impact on outputs, emissions, and traffic congestion based on inputs such as local fulfillment center prevalence in the city, population density, average distance traveled per parcel, delivery vehicle mix, and consumer demand projections. So they took all that and they found that traffic in London and Chicago could be reduced by, I think it was like 13% by using MFCs, and they found a 2% potential reduction in Sydney. They also found a similar impact when it came to carbon, uh, carbon emissions. So essentially what they're saying is that having delivery vehicles make shorter trips from local sources can make can really make a difference in an organization's uh, environmental impact. Yeah, that's really interesting. Did the study bring up the use of energy efficient vehicles of, or anything of that nature? Yeah, yeah. So as you can imagine, there are you know, a wide variety of factors that go into making the last mile greener. Um, one thing that they mentioned in particular was combining the use of these local fulfillment centers with, with, other, um, with other efforts, particularly um, click and collect options which encourage customers to travel in person for their order pickup. And often when they do that, they do it by lower emission vehicles like private cars or zero emission methods by you know, bicycle or on foot if you're close enough um, in a city. They also mentioned things like government and business incentives 
for consumers to make greener choices, you know, and that can take a variety of forms depending on your business model. And reassessing your supply chain strategies and how you're deploying assets, particularly heavy goods vehicles. And also use of, uh, or greater use of, of um, things like data and analytics technologies to assess your overall operations and also route optimization programs. Um, and those are things that can help make sure your deliveries are traveling in the most efficient, effective path. So yeah, there are a lot of, um, a lot of um, elements that go into this, but as I say, the, the, the bottom line seems to be that there are some small changes you can make to, uh, to make a big difference. Yeah, those all seem like very interesting strategies to make that last mile more efficient as well as friendlier to the environment. Thanks, Victoria. You're welcome. And Ben, you wrote about whether there will be enough truck drivers to keep up with the rising freight volumes and tight capacity during the pandemic recovery. What did you find? Uh, that's right, Dave. And uh, some of this touches on our previous uh, discussion about uh, some of the congestion at ports and the big surge that we're seeing. Uh, we saw new evidence this week that one of the most important levers in continuing the country's economic recovery from the lockdowns and the recessions that we saw during pandemic is truck drivers. And currently there are just enough of them to keep the recovery moving. Uh, specifically, logistics companies say that over the over the road freight market is very tight right now, uh, has been for months. And that's due to a range of factors. Uh, the, the backlogs at the maritime ports that we mentioned, uh, a reduced fleet of airplanes carrying cargo uh, on another mode. Uh, stores and warehouses have been hurrying to stock up with inventory as we see some vaccines roll out and some states begin to open up again. Uh, for example, the load board operator, uh, DAT Freight and Analytics, said that the demand for flatbed truckload services jumped to its highest point in nearly three years last week. That's in response to rising shipment volumes um, in construction and manufacturing and industrial markets. Uh, and in fact, looking ahead, flatbed capacity um, is forecast to become even more scarce uh, because produce season is just around the corner uh, when farmers and the agricultural sector will start uh, making a boom shipping. Uh, and another example, uh, there's a third party logistics provider uh, called GSC Logistics on the West Coast. They provide drainage services at ports. Uh, and they plan to hire 100 extra truckers uh, in the next couple months to handle the boom in container volumes that we were talking about with uh, Jonathan, our guest. So that would actually boost its driver pool by almost 30%. You can see a, a, a really big difference that some companies are uh, are making to try to keep up with the uh, volumes. Are there enough drivers in the market to meet that growing demand? Well, that question touches on a long running debate. Um, Industry groups uh, and fleet owners often say uh, there's been a driver shortage for decades now, uh, but labor groups often say there's only a shortage at the salary rates that those fleets are offering. Uh, so it depends who you ask. Uh, in fact, the picture has gotten even more complicated in recent months because uh, we've seen a COVID case surge uh, you've seen in the newspapers that makes some drivers sick and it makes other drivers uh, stay home to avoid getting sick. Uh, also, there's a rise in unemployment benefits uh, and stimulus checks, uh, so that encourages uh, some workers, some drivers to sit on the sidelines and in, instead of reporting to work. Uh, and it, also, there's a new federal drug and alcohol clearinghouse for testing program, and that's taken a lot of potential drivers out of the uh, hiring pool, uh, which is a good thing, of course, but, uh, but it makes it harder to hire enough workers. Uh, despite all those changes, the American Trucking Associations, it's a trade group, um, said this week that truck driver turnover in the fourth quarter of uh, 2020 actually remained steady. 
um, that turnover rate for large truckload fleets uh, was unchanged at 92% on an annualized rate. Uh, and the churn rate for smaller truckload carriers uh, dropped a couple percentage points to 72%. Uh, so not changing is good, but of course, 92% annualized turnover uh, means that nearly the whole um, role of your employees uh, would be different year to year. Uh, the ATA did warn, though, uh, that despite that encouraging news that the uh, rates had not increased, um, the ATA said that as the economic recovery continues, motor carriers really have to stay focused on driver retention because uh, it all hinges on keeping drivers in those trucks uh, so we can keep these increased volumes moving. Yeah, but that, that is very important, that whole idea of, of retaining the drivers that you have. Certainly seems like finding drivers is going to continue to be a challenge for some time to come. Thanks, Ben. Absolutely. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. And check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on the topics that we discussed today. Thanks, Ben and Victoria, for sharing highlights of the news this week. Thanks, Dave. Glad to be here. Yeah, you're welcome. And again, our thanks to Jonathan Foster of Proxima for being with us today. We encourage your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform and to give us a rating. We appreciate your feedback, and it really does help people to find us. Our new episodes of Logistics Matters are uploaded each Friday. And speaking of podcasts, Logistics Matters is sponsored by Honeywell Intelligrated. Be sure to check out the Honeywell Intelligrated On The Move podcast on Apple, Spotify, or Google. All episodes of their podcast series are also posted at sps.honeywell.com slash onthemovepodcast. You can also find Honeywell Intelligrated on LinkedIn and Twitter using the hashtag at Intelligrated. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters, so be sure to join us. Until then, please stay safe and have a great week.